Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. I'm really excited to be here today with Mungo Ligoya. Uh, he's a local artist who came to Idaho five years ago to attend the College of Idaho, and originally from Malawi, the warm heart of Africa. And we're so happy he's still here in Idaho making art, painting, dance, music, teaching workshops. I keep running into you around town at galleries or festivals. You're just all over the place. So I was really excited when you agreed to come on Mosaics and share about what you're doing and share about your perspectives and what the art scene has been like for you here and what your projects are, your projects are like. I also want to note that Mungo, last year you founded Mungawana Arts. And through that, you help people connect with their bodies and feel confident in their movements, even if they're a beginning dancer or a seasoned dancer. So you do workshops with that, which is so cool. So Mungo, welcome to Mosaics. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we have met in a few things because we have similar interests and and you're supporting um, the arts in a lot of ways, which is really cool. Um, So yeah, I'm really glad that I got to to come and talk with you a little bit today. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Well, let's just start... um, let people get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself and when you were a kid, what your exposure to the arts was like. Is that kind of where it started for you? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Malawi. I spent all of my life there. And I had a lot of, grew up in church, as a lot of people do in my region of the world. And so that was where most of my exposure to music and the arts was through church because I was in church choir and then a little quartet and then a little something. So something musical was happening at church all the time. And so that was my first outlet. And then um, my dad loves jazz. And so he would always play jazz and um, he just loves music in general. And he had the greatest sound system. Like he had this huge subwoofer in his Benz um, whose plate was 7777 because he just like, he he just had that car and he just had that vibe. That's so cool. Anyway, so that was the car that where I listened to music the most, would do road trips all the time and just like listen to music. And so music was always around me. And my older sister also loved music so much. She became a professor, a lecturer in music at the University of Malawi. Wow. So it just was all around me and it was sort of inevitable for me to, to... uh, yeah, I just, I had to hop in. Yeah. So that's where a lot of the inspiration um, came from. And a lot of the how-to um, came from a lot of my sister and her friends and a lot of uh, inspiration all around. I have a cousin who I lived with for a few years who um, uh, recorded one of the biggest songs of the year in Malawi while we were living together. Oh, wow. And he said to me, this is going to be one of the biggest songs this year. And he like had this whole plan and he made it happen. And wow. like seeing that inspiration and living around it, like it was really like, yeah, it was great. It was very inspirational. That is really cool to be around all that. I totally re- relate to the like church music and then whatever your parents have on. Like for me, it was the 70s Saturday night that we always had blasting in my house and right. <laughs> whatever, all the harmonies at church that you try to pick up on. So yeah, that's so cool. And growing up, were these songs like, did, was English a big part of your life growing up or was it a different language that you primarily were speaking and singing in? It was a little bit of both. So Malawi is a British colony and so English is one of our official languages. So we have English and Chichewa as the two official languages and Chichewa is the native official uh, tongue. And then there's a few, a lot of, not a few, a lot of other languages, right, mm. that aren't official. And so I spoke, I grew up speaking both because I would speak English mostly at school and also with my parents a lot. And then Chichewa was like everywhere else, right? Like at home with 
everybody else, my cousins and my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. So I sort of grew up speaking a little bit of both, mm -hmm. very uniformly both. So I grew up well-versed, I think, in, in both languages. I think that'd be really cool to be able to enjoy music in two different languages because culturally it must be so different for you. What do you tend to notice? Like, what do you pull from like different music in different in the different languages? That you yeah. So it, the different, it's actually very interesting because more than just the two languages that I speak in, I was introduced to a lot of music from everywhere else as well. So South Africa is really close to us and it's a cultural hub of the South. So much culture comes from South Africa for the global, the African South, the Southern re region. And so I listened to a lot of music in Zulu, in Kosa, all the time. And so it was all these songs that I don't understand, but enjoyed so much. There's a lot of, I still do today, till today, like sing some of the lyrics with so much passion and I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> And so I guess I learned the universality of music really young because apart from that, I we listened to a lot of music from Zimbabwe growing up. Oliver Mtugudzi is one of the biggest Zimbabwean artists and growing up, I listened to a lot of him. So a lot of South African music, a lot of Zimbabwean music. So just around that region, I listened to a lot of music from all over. And so the internationality, right, of music was huge from the start. Like I didn't understand what they were saying, but they had the beautiful melodies and the beautiful harmonies and the beautiful um music you know the yeah. beautiful instrumentation and all that stuff and so i always loved being able to tap into all of these different pockets of the way that people do things and then the style of music is also really different right apart from the language there's that layer of like the little guitar elements that this zimbabwean like subgenre of music will bring mm -hmm. so it was a lot of different types of music a lot of different types of music information from a young age wow how cool that you got to be surrounded by all that rich culture and like diversity mm -hmm. speaking of then you found yourself in idaho so that's kind of a transition no. how did you find yourself in idaho what was the draw there so i did school in malawi for all of my life and then finished high school and then applied to this program i went to united world college which is they have 18 schools all around the world one in like yeah, uh, all over. So 18. And they have a lot of international kids. So they they it's a huge scholarship based um, organization. And so every few years they give out a few scholarships to different students from different places. And so there's a huge selection process that goes into it. And then you get to get a scholarship to go somewhere and study for the last two years. It's like a high school diploma. And so I applied to that after my college experience in my high school experience in Malawi. Um, I applied to that and I got in and they sent me to Armenia. And mm -hmm. so I went to Armenia for two years and that was an incredible time in an international community um, in Armenia, like, you know, so it was mm -hmm. really great and really different. And so after that, they have um, connections to schools all over here in the U.S. Um, where especially little liberal arts colleges because uh, they have similar values. And so they have a scholarship program there, too, um, where a lot of the kids that funneled through UWC get um, the opportunity to come here and study. And so that's how I ended up here. I have my best friend was studying here, and I tried to study architecture in Spain for a few months. Mm. And that didn't work out, so I dropped out, went back to Malawi, and just like hung out for the next few months. And as I was doing that, I was looking for colleges. And so Matilda, my best friend, said, come to Idaho. I'm here and it will be nice if we're together. And one of the things that I was missing in Spain was a sense of community that was 
strong enough because I was meeting everybody for the first time and I just didn't feel that connected to everyone. Mm. And so it was great to think of coming here and being really close to Matilda. Um, and so that was one of the things that had me go, okay, let's do it. And then they gave me a full ride. So wow, <laughs> that's awesome. It. Yeah. So it's the College of Idaho out in Caldwell and I know they have a very strong international student presence. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to be a part of that? It was great. It really made it because you spoke about diversity is the, is the little, <laughs> little thing that got us in this section. But it was great being able to be in this very different area, right? Idaho, the Pacific Northwest. But to be able to have quite a lot of home, like I wouldn't even say a little bit of home because there was quite a few international students. So it was great to be able to be in this different geographical place with these masses of different people but have people that understand the songs you listen to and like sing. Like it was great to have that community and that sense of camaraderie in a foreign land altogether. So there was a few organizations that I was affiliated with, like the Afro Club on campus and the International Student Organization, which is super great for helping students transition into the life of here, right? Mm -hmm. So it was really great to be able to have that international student foundation of a network rather of all these students that understand the same things and you're going through the same things and yeah so it was really great to be able to have that at the College of Idaho. You talked about the transition what were some aspects of either the culture shock or just the different ways of doing things or maybe how you even saw yourself here in Idaho that you had help kind of navigating or that maybe were a little bit more challenging to navigate? Yeah, that's uh, an excellent one. Um, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was very different. There was a lot of cultural shock for sure, but also a lot of parallels that I draw from Idaho and the way that things are set up here. Yeah, let me say there is a lot of parallels that I can draw, and then there's also a lot of differences, right? So there was a lot of cultural shock for sure. And some of the parallels, for example, right, is I grew up in a church and there is that sense of conservatism that Malawi has. We have 90-something percent Christian nation. And so there was a lot of things that you could tell, you know, that I could understand culturally because there is that historical context. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of other things that were very different. I'm trying to think of scenarios now where I had to, but it was just very different. It was a different way of speaking it was a different like I still struggle till today with like friends with like the way I pronounce certain things or the some words that I'll use that will that are different from what people here would use so there's all of those like cultural different nuances mm -hmm. but it was nice help having other people that have navigated this as international students sort of guide us we had mentors at the beginning too who sort of helped us navigate that and sort of as much as they could like not shielded us, but made us understand that there will be all these things that are different and you just got to forge ahead and, and yeah, and, and do it. Yeah, just roll with it. It reminds yeah. me when I lived in South Africa for a little bit, they had to warn me like that nappy is diaper, right. I believe, and not napkin. So yes. like, don't you mix those up. You don't want to be asking for a diaper at the table, right? So Exactly. <laughs> and I always use serviette all the way until today. Um, and, and so there's that little, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Winnie last a couple of weeks ago on the podcast was talking about all those words that she would use, like serviette or crockery or just right. things like and plates. Um, the way the pronunciation thing too. There's a few words like via, like drive via this road or via. Like I say via, and I believe here they say via. Am I right? 
I don't know. I would probably say via, but yeah. Yeah. So, so there's little stuff like that where it's pronounced completely wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> not wrong, just different. <laughs> just no, different. Just yes, exactly, though. You do sound more elegant. I'll give you that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, a lot of differences, a lot of nuances, a lot of growth that I had to adapt with being able to see, like you mentioned, seeing myself, right? Like that was, there is a lens that I had to view myself from in a certain type of way. Because I grew up in Malawi where, what, 90 maybe percent of the population is black. Mm -hmm. And so there was no huge sense of like, oh, I'm different. You know, I was different in a lot of other ways, but that wasn't a thing that was actively in my head mm -hmm. as much as it is here. Like it's still obviously there. There is that layer of, I think the whole world is white supremacist, is we hold a lot of values that are white supremacist, you know? And so we were just mm -hmm. talking about this with my mom today of how a lot of the population of Malawi have a certain pers like a certain way that they view white people mm -hmm. that is from the lens of like a colonial, like this is, we're great. And so there is that that goes on a lot that I could also say is there, absolutely. And I grew up with that. But when there's so many black people, it's not as present, you know, and it's not as... It's not a thing you're dealing with daily like mm -hmm. it is here. Yeah. And with that, yeah, it was there was just a lot of the way that I was perceived having to be at the forefront of my mind. Like when I go to places and spaces and things and I'm black and a lot of people haven't experienced black people out here. And so it was just like constantly thinking about, okay, what is it that I'm being perceived as now? And then especially when 2020 happened, mm. there was just so much more conversation of like, there was a lot of people that say, like, so there's stereotypes, right, that people have uh, about culture or groups. And so there's a lot of those stereotypes that suddenly are placed on me mm -hmm. as a black person in America, even though I'm not black American, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them, a lot of them are stereotypes that they have, that people have about black Americans that then suddenly are dawned on me. And then there's also the stereotypes about just black people in general. So there's just a lot of things that I had to, like, maneuver while moving around a lot of uh, predominantly white spaces. Um, so it was, it's a lot of mental work mm. um, to just constantly think, okay, how am I being perceived? Am I affirming stereotypes? Am I breaking stereotypes? Should I have to be doing this all the time? Why am I, you know, it's just a lot of thinking and a yeah. lot of mental work. It's a lot to, of pressure. Yeah, to be going into spaces and having to represent your people in a way, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah it's definitely a lot of pressure. Can you share a little bit about any stereotypes the, like specifically kind of what you noticed? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of them, <laughs> but I would say one is like black people are loud and disruptive. Mm. Like it's, it's a thing I've heard from. So I have a few, a lot of white friends, right? And a lot of them understand all these things, which I love. Like I love that I'm surrounded by people that know how to maneuver these differences, right? Because that's all they are, the differences. And so I have had a at least two that have come to tell me like post conversations with their white something white family or something and one of them was that like the black folk are loud and something you know like and disruptive and there's that yeah sort of uh where how expressive can you be because are you affirming that right like that's a huge one mm. and yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of what other ones there are it's tough because if you're thinking about how you're acting you're not able to find your natural flow right and belonging if you have to be present or conscious about how you're showing up right it kind of blocks that 
Yeah, yeah, and we talk about Relaxation. it in art too a, a little bit. And I have a lot of my art sort of centered not around the gaze, but around the representation of Africa and Africanness, because there is yeah, there's the white gaze that you constantly have to deal with navigating. And it's like, do you ever really rest in a society like this that's like really predominantly white? Like, do you ever really get to be yourself? Exactly what you're saying. Like, is it? And how much, like, even subconsciously, right? Like, there's a lot of time I'm consciously thinking about, okay, how am I presenting? How am I? But then there's a lot of, I bet, subconscious stuff that's happening even when I'm not actively thinking about that mm-hmm. stuff, right? So, yeah, there's a, a lot of stuff to, to grapple with there. And, um, yeah, how much can you really be yourself? That's an excellent way to say that. Mm. Yeah. We reconnected, or maybe this was the first time we met, I can't remember, but the Black Legacy Project came through town. And if if you all look back on our podcast episodes, I did get a chance to interview the leaders of that. But it was a really interesting roundtable that came and just, I think, like 14 to 20 people in a small group mm-hmm. talking about race relations in Idaho and, and history in Idaho and then um, breaking into small groups and kind of talking with fellow people um, who are white and then fellow people who are black in the other group. Mm-hmm. That was a really interesting conversation. And I'm really fascinated because I also saw you very involved in Juneteenth. So here you are kind of newer to the U.S., um, very engaged in these civil rights and like race relation conversations. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked before this interview about the different experiences of uh, African-American born here versus someone who's um, an immigrant or a refugee from Africa who is now here. Mm. The reception on the outside is the same. You know, They don't know the difference, but the experience is very different, and obviously your history is very different. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you've been navigating those conversations and what, yeah. dri- what drives you there? Yeah, I, I think conversations, like you said, are so important, and like they're one of the foundational things that help bring about understanding, right? And so whatever I do, I try and like bring about conversation. Like in my art, I have pieces that try and like really get at stuff that have people ask themselves questions and then land at certain places in their heads. And so in my trying to bring about more conversations with all these topics, I figured a great way to do it is is stuff like Juneteenth and the Black Legacy Project, for example, and just like spaces that are ready to have this conversation, right? Because I think there's a lot of fear and like uneasiness for a lot of people to talk about conversations that are uncomfortable, such as this. And so to just bring a bring it on a bigger platform and have people talking about it is a huge way to move forward because there's just more understanding and there's more humanization almost too, right? Because that was one of the missions, for example, of the UWC that I was talking about, the school is if you get all these people that are from all these different places see each other and understand each other and really humanize each other, then there is less tension and conflict just because there's an understanding of all these different groups are not that different, right? There's less us and them. There's more, oh, we are all more equal than we are different. And we all have dreams and aspirations and all these things. And so just like to be able to bring that conversation to the forefront, to bring that conversation to life is why I joined a lot of the things that I did because in whatever I do, I want to be able to have people, even if they don't actively conversate with someone about it, I want them to be able to stop and think about like all of those things that other people are dealing with or all of those things that they're never asking, the questions they're never asking themselves or, you know, so there's just a lot of, I love conversation. I want people to talk about things because I think that's also how you get rid of a lot of things, right? Like there's a lot of stereotypes and stuff that like could never be countered could never be understood if 
there is never a conversation about um, all of that stuff. So yeah, I just love conversation and all, joining all these things have been great for bringing about conversation mm. about a lot of these topics and just having people talk. When you say these topics, are you talking specifically about race relations, racial stereotypes, or can you be a little more specific about what yes. questions you want people to be asking and what things we should be talking about? Yeah, I believe in this. There's this concept called intersectionality um, that I believe you're familiar with. And so I say these topics because there's so many so of them many, that yeah. are like embedded in this one fight for freedom, right? Like you mentioned, being yourself and being able to authentically be yourself without a sense of judgment and whatnot around. And I think when I say these topics, I'm talking about LGBTQ rights and black rights and sexism. And, you know, there, there's so many topics that fall under when I say these topics that I think are intersectional and they all connect in a huge way to a lot of the roots of the way that society was constructed mm -hmm. um, uh, in the past, right? And they're never, usually never addressed and usually we just stick in them and keep it going and keep tradition moving. Like I think you mentioned when we met at the Black Legacy Project that there was this uh, law here in Idaho that didn't allow black families to own houses in a certain part of the city. Like stuff like that, right? It's tradition. And if nobody ever says, I don't think that this is right in here, then nobody will ever change it, right? And so, yeah, when I say these topics, I'm talking about a lot of that, like the racism, the sexism, all of these isms that exist yeah. from a perceived sense of difference. Mm. Yeah, so that's why I say these topics, because I think they're so intersecting and they're so deeply ingrained in the way that society operates. And once they're being talked about, then changes can be made. Like, right, right. that's what the whole like civil rights movement, for example, was about of like, oh, these things are happening. And BLM was about that in a huge way too, where it's like, okay, this group has been experiencing these things for this long. And it's like, let's talk about it because that's gonna finally get us to change the way that we do things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I say these topics again <laughs> to just really talk about like all of these oppressive systems that have people not be free. Like you mentioned, yeah, the freedom is a huge aspect of, of of everybody's fighting for that you know to be able to truly be free and truly express and these fights for freedoms intersect and help bring about change so that people can live a freer more authentic better life yeah then you mentioned about the housing deeds the no black person shall live here mm -hmm. unless they're a servant basically it was written into all these home deeds i don't know if it i don't think it was ever a law but it was my friends bought a house and the deed just was passed down mm -hmm. and they, they looked at it and they were shocked there right. it was so yeah the, the it wasn't obviously enforced but it's still like there to right. see in plain sight yeah so yeah no i appreciate you bringing those up and and it's hard to have we're seeing right now all the pain around the conversations with Israel and Gaza too. Mm -hmm. I know there was a, a protest or a march in Boise on Saturday to support Palestinians and the message of anti-oppression mm -hmm. and not having to be, you can be anti-oppression and still support like civilians of all countries. Right. So seeing these right. conversations, but there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of fear yeah. around these conversations still. And so... Yeah. And getting rid of the us and them in those conversations is very hard because we're emotional beings and we come from a place of like being able to align concretely with with one, you know, way. And like to like you, you brought up that point just now of like to be able to stand with civilians of, either, you know, 
everywhere and say like this is not right and also though to be able to acknowledge the oppressive systems and the way that they're structured mm -hmm. to keep a particular group even more unjustly treated constantly than others you know and so yes. that's a huge and they exist everywhere and there's so many parallels of what they bring and how they have society act so yeah it's an important um conversation that's why i think the projects that you do and the mediums that you use are so important because it gives people space to think and to ask questions and to have these conversations or even to reflect mm. through music, through art, through a way that's not finger pointing, shaming. It gives them space. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to hear more about, you said you want your art to have people ask themselves a question. Mm -hmm. What's like one question or a couple questions that you would be so proud to know that somebody ask themselves after encountering your art a huge one is a sense of how am i upholding oppressive systems just a sense of like contextually where they live how they live are they doing stuff to uphold systems are they doing stuff to dismantle systems yeah i think so just how am i showing up in regards to oppressive systems is a huge one that i really want people to ask because it could fall in a lot of subcategories right it could fall in like how am I being sexist or how am I being racist or how am I being, how am I holding beliefs that are aligned with white supremacy? Like how am I showing up with these beliefs to different spaces? I think that's a huge one that I'd be very proud of, of like, how am I showing up? Mm. Am I dismantling? Am I just standing by the side? Am I actively enforcing? Because I think, yeah, if more introspection, I think amongst people is just would be better because there's a lot of things, like I said, with tradition, especially that are just repeated in a cycle without ever being questioned. And so mm. I think the questioning is so important in whatever thing. So yeah, that's a huge one. How am I showing up in regards to oppressive systems? And another one I would say is, I don't know, that's a huge one. It really covers a lot of the work yeah. that I do. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be the biggest one. Very and if cool. I think of another one, I'll that's share. Cool. Yeah. You had mentioned that you didn't expect to stay in Idaho after graduation, I believe, but then you got so connected to the local arts community. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that collaborative community and what, what that's like? Yeah, so a lot of, it's a few different projects and things that I've been associated with that I've really enjoyed working on, like Juneteenth was great. And I've been working with Sana Collective and we've done some really cool projects. And just like the art that I've done to show up in galleries and exhibitions and all that has been great. And so just connecting and I've been recording my album with people in the local community. So it's been a lot of just like those musical connects and those people that align with those values that I have of being able to spread a certain message or just like bring about conversation and help change the culture of a place or help pivot it towards mm -hmm. a better, more understanding community. Mm -hmm. And so just showing up to a lot of those spaces and it's hard work too, because like I mentioned, it's a community that sometimes is not always ready for certain things. Mm -hmm. And so to show up is really important. And so just, yeah, showing up to a lot of things and places and spaces has been part of that journey of getting people to understand more, I guess, than they do and just having conversations with people even and yeah, just pushing forward a certain a sense of um, we're in this together. Um, and the creative community here has been really great to like collaborate with. There's just a lot of understanding. There's a lot of um, supporting one another too that I've encountered personally. So it's just been, yeah, it's kept me here because I'm like, okay, this is great. This is what I want to do even in the greater 
scheme of things. And mm-hmm. so it aligns very well, I think, with what my whole life mission and <laughs> life's mission's about. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool that you've been able to find that and build that here. Yeah. In such a beautiful way. Uh, I want to talk with you about community a little bit. Coming from Malawi, you came from a different cultural mindset around community than what is here. So I just wanted to hear about your different experiences with what community looks like in Malawi and then what you found here in Idaho. Right. So America as a whole, I believe, is very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge thing that stood out to me in the first years of college when I came here was just like just that, like how starkly individualistic it was. Because back home, we just have so much more community, everything really, like everything is sort of done in community. And there's just more, I would say, communal human interactions than there are here. Well, you mentioned earlier, like your neighbor's grandpa dies and you're at the funeral. Exactly. Yeah. Those it's it's that things. kind of the community where it's like, you know, this person that knows that person and that you're going to be there celebrating with them or mourning with them or just like. Yeah, so there's just that huge sense of like, we know each other, we're here together as people and less a sense of like, this is me and this, you know? So yeah, which I think uh, we were told about this yesterday because our car died on the side of the street. Oh yeah. And I we just speculated that if we were in another place, like Malawi, for example, we would have had somebody or a few people stop and say, hey, what's going on? Can we help and all that, right? Quicker. Because we eventually did get a lady who passed by and then came back and said, oh, I've seen you guys here for a while. What's going on? Right. Oh, wow. And so we eventually got that. So I just think and I think it was part of the fabric of this country for a long time. I think especially during the civil rights, there was so much more community, so much more understanding of like we're in this huge fight together. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't know how that was curbed. Somebody has a theory on this that I've watched, um, but I don't remember who and I don't remember the talk. But. All of that was sort of put aside because then a lot more individualistic ways of thinking came into the picture. And now even when families are connected, it's usually just the immediate unit of family, right? Nuclear family. Yeah, the nuclear family <laughs> model. And so there is not, Bell Hooks talk, talks about this in All About Love where she says, there's no aunt that then can talk to the mom and say, you're being unjust to the child, or there's just no sense of, So justice is different in a setting like that. And just the sense of community and building together, I guess, is just different in a setting like that as well. And I really, I miss that about Malawi where it just feels more communal. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to, so I try and replicate it right in the spaces that I'm in. Like I, with my band, we try and like hang out and, you know, more often than when we can, we try and hang out so that we like, without like practice, you know, so that we are like doing we're just hanging out because it's not, it doesn't always have to be productive, right? Mm, um, yeah. In the huge, in the way that we, yeah. So I, I, I try and bring that because I've found that it is missing in a lot of spaces here. Mm-hmm. And even so with dance, that's why I do the movement classes as well, just because dance is a huge part of me, for me growing up. Like it was like a f- expression, right? It, it wasn't even um, stylistic at the time. It was just about a lot of expression and there's a lot of communal dance spaces where I'm from that don't exist here in the same way. And so I try and bring that with my movement workshops of just like a space where you just can come and move. And and there's so much study to say like somatic movement really helps relieve stress and ease tension in the body and all this stuff, right? And there's just not a lot of that. No, there's really not. And it's to join later in life can feel very awkward. Like I grew up in a tradition that 
didn't allow dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was seen as like, I think the gateway to sex, right? Right, <laughs> and right. So, like it's naughty. Yeah. Uh, and so, I never danced growing up and had no skills or yeah. rhythm. But I went to in college. I started salsa dancing, and the patient people there just helped teach me. Pointed me to some YouTube videos <laughs> to watch, and it helped a bunch. And like, I started to build confidence over time and have a lot of fun. Yeah. And just like feel that connectedness to my body that I hadn't. But it's awkward when you're not used to it. Like mm-hmm. I would travel, like in Cuba, there was this tiny kid in a diaper and she's like moving her hips. Like she, I'm like, oh my gosh, right. she knows exactly what she's doing. Right. So yeah. jealous. Yeah. Um, but it's such a healing communal thing. But if you weren't raised in it, it can be super awkward to try. Yeah. <laughs> you feel very silly or like yeah. uncomfortable in your own body. Right. Yeah. And that's why, so there are movement workshops for that specific reason because everybody can move, right? Mm-hmm. And so- I deem it that and I the way that I structure it is also in a way where it's not it is dance but it's movement because everybody can move and everybody can hit certain things and I hear you so it's a lot of it's a lot of beginners come through to my class and they feel that sense of awkwardness and I try and like hold their hand through it because once you get on the other side too of that sense of awkwardness there's such beauty like mm-hmm. even in one class of an hour we start and the first 10 minutes are the most awkward like ever <laughs> By by the time we're ending, like people are like, you can feel it in the air that like they're just calmer and like more um, loose. Mm. And so even in the span of an hour, it like helps people relax that much, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's very, very awkward and a hurdle that is hard to jump through. But it's beautiful when you do and get on the other side. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Maybe yeah. I'll check one of those out. Yes. Well, if people want to encounter your art or your music or one of these workshops, what's the best place to send them? Do you have a website? Yeah, I have a website and it's www.mungowana.com. And I post my, like the next band gig there or the next dance workshop there. Just whatever is coming up on the calendar is okay. all posted on there. So yeah, people can check Great. that out. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And then okay. you're pretty active on Instagram too. Is that another yes, way? Yes, Instagram's people- a huge way to, yeah, I think that's my most active website. Yeah. So yeah, my Instagram's also, <clears throat> my Instagram is also <laughs> Mungowana and people can find stuff there. Yeah, well, I really appreciate talking with you and thank you for sharing what you've been up to. I wish we had more time. You have so many cool projects. I know. It's fine. Um, Next time. <laughs> but I'll be sure to try to. I saw you at Flipside and uh, are you going to be at Tree Fort, you think? Are you I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're flying for that. So hopefully so, we'll be at Tree Fort too. Yes. That's yeah. great. Well, I just appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, on Mosaics, we talked to a lot of people who come from refugee backgrounds, but more and more we've been venturing out to talk to people who came through other means of immigration. For you, it was college. Other people might be work or family. And so I just, like, Idaho is so um, fortunate to have just the breadth of perspectives, voices, artists, talented, kind people Mm. like you who have um, made this home. So I just really deeply appreciate that. And thanks for sharing some of your time with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sure we'll come back and talk about some projects in particular. Yeah, (laughs) we'd love to have you back. Yeah. All right. Thanks, thanks, Mungo. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production in partnership with SB Studios.